Good behavior can get a con out of prison. Good behavior can also get your program off the Government Accountability Office's never-ending list of high-risk federal programs. In fact, the GAO just issued guidance on how to get off that list. And for highlights, we turn to the GAO's Director of Strategic Issues, Michelle Sager. Ms. Sager, good to have you back. Thank you. It's great to be here. And you have issued kind of a midterm report in between lists because the last high-risk list came out in 21. Next year, there's another one. But this report is basically a how-to guide to get a program off the list if it's on there now, correct? That's right. This report is a little bit different, and it responds to some of the questions that we regularly receive at congressional hearings. Just given the number of areas on the list, there's currently 37 areas on the high-risk list. And one of the questions that the Comptroller General in particular frequently receives at congressional hearings is, can areas ever be removed from the list? So this report is intended to be a guide to go into detail about what it takes for agencies to show progress and potentially be removed from the list. And then it also provides a dozen case studies showing areas where areas have been removed from the list or they have narrowed in scope over time. And between the 19 and 21 lists, some programs did escape the list. What are a couple of those that were case histories for this current report? In this current report, we go into detail on 12 specific areas, and then we also provide the full list of areas on the high-risk list. Last year was one of our regular reports that we issue when there is a new Congress. And in that report, one of the things that we talked about are areas that had shown progress, and we did remove an area from the list and detailed that in our 2021 report. That was Department of Defense Support Infrastructure Management. And among other things, DOD had shown how they more efficiently used military installation space and reduce their infrastructure footprint and use of leases. And that, in turn, saved millions of dollars and improved the use of installation agreements that then reduced base support costs. Right. And I guess that points up the fact that the high-risk list can refer to several risks. One is purely financial, but the other type of risk is to the mission delivery itself. True? That's correct. So in terms of why this matters, you pointed out one of the key reasons, and that is because the potential exists for saving billions of dollars. And one of the things we highlight in this current report is that we have, in the last 16 fiscal years, been able to document saving more than $600 billion in financial benefits. And that is, of course, important. But in addition to that, showing progress on these high-risk areas also improves services for the public and it can enhance the ability to achieve agency missions and, importantly, also restore trust in government. Got it. So you took the 12 areas that had made it off of the list and made a composite on the best practices that they exhibited, and that constitutes this latest, I guess you could call it, advice issued from GAO? So these 12 areas are illustrative examples, understanding that if you're an agency official and you're trying to determine what it is that you need to do, these 12 examples that we selected were areas that had been removed from the list, as well as areas that had narrowed in scope. And it also included some areas that have been on the list since it was established in 1990, but have shown significant progress. And which programs have been on the list since 1990? How many of those? 
So the ones that we highlight in this report, there's six areas that have been on the list since 1990, but they've shown significant progress and the report goes into detail. And those include, I'll just rattle them off for you, um, Department of Defense Weapons System Acquisition, Department of Energy Contract Management for the National Nuclear Security Agency and Office of Environmental Management, Enforcement of Tax Laws, Medicare Program and Improper Payments, NASA Acquisition Management, and then finally, Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation Insurance Program. And those are illustrative of areas that are really complex challenges for the federal government, and that explains why they've remained on the list. We're speaking with Michelle Sager. She's Director of Strategic Issues at the Government Accountability Office. And then give us the highlights of the advice that you are issuing here for agencies that want to get off the high-risk list. And I just want to begin by pointing out it's not only the program manager's responsibility here, is it? That's correct. What we detail in this report is the five practices that agencies can consider as they're trying to make progress and show that they are moving forward on these areas. And the first of those is leadership commitment. And that can be leadership commitment through the agency, the agency officials, but also working with OMB and working with Congress. So that's really critical. And then in addition to leadership commitment, there are five other key practices, and that includes capacity in terms of people and resources, having an action plan in place that can define the root causes and solutions, monitoring, and showing demonstrated progress. So leadership commitment, capacity, action plan, monitoring, and demonstrated progress. Those are the areas that we use as we're assessing the areas on the high-risk list. And then we also provide examples of how agencies have taken action in response to those practices as they have made that forward progress over time. It strikes me that those practices, if followed from the beginning of a program, could keep it off the list in the first place. And the one I'm thinking of is the SBA Pandemic Relief Loans Program, which everyone kind of expected would be trouble and even though there was an oversight and a accountability plan built into the law, it still has to be executed on by people. And so now it's on the high-risk list, and bits and pieces of reports of terrible fraud and abuse of that program are starting to trickle in. So that is an area that we added in 2021, emergency loans for small business. Another area we added last year was national efforts to prevent, respond to, and recover from drug misuse. And so you're right, having a plan in place, particularly as new programs come into fruition about how you're going to pull together, whether it's a task force or working with Congress or working with OMB in your budget justifications, what that plan is going to be at the top, but also thinking about what it would take. Do you have the people in place? How much would it take in terms of funding? Do you have the internal controls that need to exist? And then establishing that action plan. What's your plan? How are you going to manage the project? What are your milestones? And then how do you know if you've actually made progress and monitoring along the way to demonstrate that progress? And in launching a program or planning a program or reauthorizing a program, whatever the case might be, is it ever possible to discern some type of ratio to the dollars or some portion of the dollars expended in a program that should be devoted to these issues of monitoring, oversight, measurement, metrics, and ensuring the outcomes you want? 
That's an interesting question, and we don't have a specific dollar amount or specific percentage per se, and in part, it's because these are some of the most complex, sometimes seemingly intractable issues facing the federal government. When you think about some of the issues that have remained on the list for a long time, such as the Medicare program or enforcement of tax laws, those are topics that are critically important to the operation of the federal government, critically important to citizens, to the general public. And how that looks at a particular agency really depends on the specific program. So it's difficult to quantify exactly how much of a program or an agency's resources should be devoted in that way. Getting back to the most recent report here then on how to get off the list, basically, we'll call it that, a handbook, if you will, who should read it? Of course, we always think that these reports are beneficial to everyone, but certainly agency officials who are thinking about their own programs and their own strategies. OMB has been working with us as we're working with agencies, but of course, most importantly, we are responding to congressional interest in what it takes to show progress on the high-risk list and also doing some myth-busting. I, I think sometimes there's a perception that once an area is on the list, it remains on the list in perpetuity. And in fact, there are these demonstrated success stories where agencies have taken action, have worked with OMB, have worked with Congress, and they've shown tremendous progress for the benefit of the general public. Michelle Sager is Director of Strategic Issues at the Government Accountability Office. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. We'll post this interview along with a link to that latest report at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. And today I'm thrilled to be joined by Melissa Bradley, the founder and managing partner at 1863 Ventures, an investment company focused on bridging entrepreneurship and racial equity, and accelerating new majority entrepreneurs from high potential to high growth. Additionally, Melissa is co-founder of Venture Back Eureka, a community where small businesses gain unprecedented access to the expertise needed to grow their businesses, and has more than 20 years of entrepreneurship, investment, and leadership experience. Melissa, welcome, and thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Who is the first person that you remember looking up to as a leader? And what was it about them that inspired you? So there are actually two people. Um, the first person personally was my mom. Uh, she was a single parent. And what I realized is that she was the leader of our household, but she was also the leader of our community. Um, she was a staunch advocate for children's rights in public schools, making sure that we got a quality education. She was a staunch advocate around rights for renters. Um, we were not in a financial position that we actually ever owned a home, uh, but she made sure that people who lived in various types of housing, we were in regular housing. The people who were in regular housing, public housing, she made sure that their rights were advocated for um, and really just always kind of looked out for, I'll, I'll use air quotes, the little guy, while although we were the little guy. Uh, and then I would say she was a huge advocate of older folks. Um, as part of her job, she 
work during the week uh, in a full-time job and then clean houses on the weekend, but also took care of elderly folks and a staunch advocate for elderly rights. Um, so that was probably the, the first leader. And then I would say the second leader that really came about professionally was a woman named Crystal, Crystal Gaskins, uh, who actually ran a headhunting temporary firm that I ended up spending about a year at, but quickly realized that was not my calling. But in a world where you are constantly managing the powers that be that want to hire all these people and move people around and the folks who are sometimes in vulnerable positions and obviously seeking a job, she would always manage to treat everyone with the, with the ultimate respect. And part of the business was actually um, managing hotels and getting service workers to show up. And that's a tough job, right, to try to motivate people who barely are getting paid enough under not great conditions. Um, and so she taught me three things. She taught me how to be a motivator and that recognizing leadership is not mandating, but motivating. She taught me that leadership is not just reporting up, but also reflecting and supporting those who may be underneath you from a hierarchical structure. And she also taught me that leadership was not about money, uh, but it was about producing positive outcomes for whoever your customers were. And if you did that, then obviously the money would come. How would you describe your leadership style and how has that developed over the years? Hmm. I would describe it hashtag work in progress. Um, it, it has evolved over the years, I think, two ways. One, uh, the more people I've been exposed to in leadership positions have certainly helped me pivot and make adjustments. And then certainly as my leadership roles have elevated and probably as the more people I've been responsible for has elevated, uh, you know, certainly being managing partner and founder of 1863 Ventures, we manage a lot of people. We have actually tripled our staff this year. And so we went from three people to oh, actually 12 people plus and growing. Uh, and we went from a couple hundred members to almost 10,000 members. And that's a big deal. Um, I, so my leadership style has evolved in terms of more people that I have reporting to me. I think it's, I, I focus on autonomy. I focus, I'm, I'm very clear that my role is to help other people be successful. Uh, I do set very clear deadlines. I am try to do a good job of kind of projecting what is the overall mission and vision? What are the KPIs and OKRs that we need to hit? And then I feel like I need to get out the way. I need not be a micromanager. I need to recognize, particularly since COVID, that people have kids, they have lives, they have ways that they know how they perform best. And so we now have people who work for me all over the world. And as long as we made our deliverables, I don't need to know that you're sitting in a cubicle or sitting at your computer from nine to five. Um, and that's because I've been at those nine to five jobs where I literally had nothing to do, but I knew I was told I had to be in the office. Uh, and it just seemed like a complete waste of time. And so I'm really laser focused on outcomes and productivity and advancing the vision and mission and not on what does it look like? Because I think a successful work looks different for everyone. And then I would say more externally, as we now have grown to lots of members and we have a social media presence and I talk to people, I'm mindful that the, the probably the most important from an external uh, perspective on my leadership is that I am mindful that I am modeling not just for myself, but particularly for other leaders and particularly Black women and certainly gay black women. Uh, you know, there are not a lot of us. Um, you know, you mentioned that I'm a co-founder of Eureka. So I'm 
fortunate enough to be in the first 30 or so Black women that have been supported through venture capital, which is a sad statistic, but for a different topic. And so I'm mindful that people are always watching me. And I would say that certainly as a Black woman, people are always watching you, not always for the better and cheering you on, but waiting for you to make a mistake and slip up. And so I'm mindful that when I step into a room or I show up somewhere, I'm not just representing Melissa Bradley and my immediate family. I'm representing all of my members and potentially sending a signal effect of what other people are going to expect as Black women. And the final thing I would say that definitely has evolved since now that I'm over 50 uh, is that I feel a much greater freedom to say what's on my mind um, than I did before. And I, and I do that. I probably said what was on my mind before, but in a way that was reflective of my frustration and anger with the system. And now I say it with the, expect, with the level of calmness and the expectation that it's important that we are honest around what do Black communities experience, and to phrase it in a way not based on anger, but really using data. And so I would say I've consistently been a staunch advocate for Black and Brown communities, but has evolved from being very reactive and saying, well, don't do this and don't do that, to saying, let me explain to you why I think it's important that we take this up and really letting the facts drive the discussion. Some of that probably comes from the fact that I've worked in two presidential administrations, and we all know that that just goes back and forth and often Sometimes based on rhetoric and not fact. And having six kids in a world of social media, I think there's something, the, the art of, of conversation based on facts and data has devolved to uh, opinions and pundits. And, and I think that's a challenge around leadership because your job is not, in my mind, to convince people, but to inform people and allow them to make decisions for themselves. I, I saw you on a post uh, with a Washington Post um, uh, interview and it you were amazing. And it's interesting to listen to you describe what you just said, because I could see all of that reflected in how you responded there. And um, make one other quick uh, comment about as a company grows, WEPA is growing as well. And you are so spot on. We have, as, as leaders, we have to let go and trust those people that work for us and empower them to do their job and then let them roll. And that's not always easy. When you think about something that brings out the best in us, it usually involves helping someone else. By donating plasma at a Griffel Center, you can help save millions of lives and show your good side to the world. You'll join thousands of people who donate safely each week, so patients get the plasma-derived medicines they rely on. And you'll be rewarded up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at Grifflesplasma.com. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.